invented to start numbering. Yeah. The screen is flashing. All right. So, Raul, it's really, really good to meet you. One of the things that um, is a kind of a joy for me is uh, being able to work with a wide variety of students and that quite often I work with students who have had 5, 10, 15 years of experience, a whole lot of retreats, read a lot of books, been in communities and that kind of stuff. And then on occasion, we have a student like yourself who is very, very beginner, not much information about uh, the teaching. And so this would be then a good beginner's guide that we can publish on the Internet so that people can get that from that perspective, because a lot of people who see those videos kind of jump in the middle of the river, which is where we have most of the students, rather than just put a toe in. <laughs> All right, we're going to put a toe in. And, and putting the toe in, we can say that the very, very basic teachings of the Buddha can be stated very, very simply. And that this is one of the ways that we want to start guiding you so that you get the understanding from the very, very beginning that this is a very simple thing. It is not big and it's not complicated and it, do it doesn't necessarily need to have a lot of stories with it. But we do have a lot of stories and a lot of jokes. But the, but the story doesn't necessarily have to be a story of reality, but rather a story or mythology that can help point to really what's going on inside of one's own mind. So looking at it from that, the Buddha said at one point in one sutta and in a different point in another one in, in one sutta, he was being accused of teaching um, his students something like atheism in the sense that it meant that he was teaching that upon the breakup and the death of the body, he was teaching that the, the existing being then was annihilated. So that when the body dies, I die. That was what he was accused of teaching. But he said, no, he doesn't teach any of that kind of stuff that he only teaches one thing, and that is that he teaches uh, Dukkha, Dukkha Naroda is the Pali, and the word Dukkha can be best translated as unsatisfactoriness, but it has almost always in English been translated as suffering. Now, suffering is a great big deal. What we're looking at is learning how to deal with things when they're really, really small. So that they're not suffering at all, they're just dissatisfied. They're just unpleasant. And so this is where we mean the, the actual teachings of the Buddha is learning how to find this unpleasantness, this dissatisfaction in the mind, and then immediately throw that out. And so the, the actual cure is immediate. This is amazing because almost all other cures have to do with taking a pill and being sick for a long time, then eventually getting better after you take a whole lot of pills. 
And so we can to see the teaching of the Buddha that way. Uh, that even in programs like AA and whatnot, they seem to have the idea of it take, it's a long haul. But really, the only thing that needs to be done is, in that case, for um, uh, the new student to say no to that alcohol right now. That's basically the whole practice. To just say no to that practice, or I'm not going to do that. Okay. Well, we can say if that's true for something um, as clear cut and as obvious as don't drink alcohol because we can see the dangers in it. That means that we can do the same thing with the kind of thoughts that we have. The kind of thoughts that we have then can be either wholesome thoughts, valuable thoughts, good thoughts, thoughts that are useful and um, productive, or we can have thoughts that make us drunk. Thoughts to get us caught in delusion, thoughts that make us afraid, thoughts that get us angry, thoughts that do all kinds of damage, thoughts of jobs to do when in fact there's nothing to do. So we're talking about now that we can actually begin to develop the skill of seeing the kind of thoughts that we have and choose what kind of thoughts that we're going to have so that we can come out of our states of dissatisfaction into the state of satisfaction. Now, basically what we've been talking about here is the Four Noble Truths. We've already been talking about it. In fact, Dukkha Dukkha Naroda, the entire teaching of the Buddha can be unwrapped as the Four Noble Truths. Number one is, is that there is Dukkha. There is dissatisfactions in life now many people make the mistake and so i want to caution you about this many people make the mistake of that it is life itself that is unsatisfactory life itself is dukkha no that's not the case life itself is life-giving <laughs> life itself is joyful life itself is self-sustaining that if I held a gun to your head and says, okay, you have two choices. You can either die now or you can wait five minutes and then die. Which would you choose? Later. Right, okay. That just proves that it's not life itself that's dukkha. Then, in fact, the fear of losing one's life is the dukkha. The fear of losing one's life because life is so precious, so it couldn't possibly be life itself that is suffering, but that we create the suffering. And we create this suffering just like in that example that I gave of clinging to uh, life. We cling to all kinds of things that are uh, not really there. For instance, all I said was a story. There was no actual real gun. There was no actual real question, are you going to die or not? It was all proposed, but you got it. You bought it. You understood that. And not only that, but you could then feel that fear of death in you just because we were talking about it, had the idea of it. 
this is how our thoughts work, that our, there's connections between what we think and how we feel. And so if we have unwholesome thoughts, then we will have unwholesome feelings and we become dissatisfied and disappointed in life. But if we can change our thoughts from unwholesome to wholesome thoughts, then we can have a joyful life. That in fact, we instead of talking about it as a life in a long sense, we can go back to this very moment. I can either have thoughts of disappointment um, and uh, dissatisfaction right in this very moment, or I can in this very moment have thoughts of joy, thoughts of grace, thoughts of goodness. Because reality has both. Most people go because we're afraid, we concentrate on the dangerous because we want to avoid danger. So we keep concentrating on the dangers. Because then that we get a base of fear going. But if we start looking at the, the fact that everything is okay, everything is fine, you're not a cure in the world, then we're unlikely to be afraid, especially if we can look around directly and see, you know, something, there's no alligators, there's no crocodiles, there's no snakes, there's no tarantulas on the keyboard, there's no scorpions, there's no problems at all. Why not just feel completely safe? But we don't. We don't feel safe. Why is it that we don't feel safe is because we've gotten ourselves into the habit of not feeling safe. That that habit of not feeling safe not only started when we were child uh, in childhood, because as children, we're completely dependent. If we're not taken care of, we've got a mess. We could die. If mom died, and the baby doesn't have anybody to come into the house, the baby's probably going to die too. So um, we, we start off as a victim. We start off needing help. And then it's hard to get out of the habit of thinking that we need help. And so we're always thinking about disasters and things that can go wrong and looking for help to solve our problems. But if, if we can grow up, and change our attitude about things, then we can begin to get the attitude of a winner, the attitude that I can handle this, the attitude of this is dangerous for some people, but it's not dangerous really, that I can handle anything. When we have that kind of attitude, life becomes really easy. We don't, we are no longer dissatisfied. So this is actually the real noble teaching of the Buddha. The very, very high class quality teaching is, is that you can feel good right now. You don't have to feel bad. So the whole system then of the teaching of the Buddha is around this dukkha, dukkha naroda, to recognize we've got unwholesome thoughts that give us unpleasant feelings. And if we change up to wholesome thoughts, we can have pleasant feelings that literally we can take charge of how we feel, that we can come out of dukkha because we can see what causes it and change that so that we can become free, completely free.
Because there's nothing that you're afraid of. You can handle anything. You can handle anything. That means that you can get on one of the fastest motorbikes in town and go as fast as that motorbike can go. Because you're completely free. But wait a minute, I'm free enough that I don't even have to get on that motorbike to go as fast as I can go. I can do it without the motorbike. But I can feel like I'm going as 100 miles an hour without actually having the dangers of having to keep track of what's going on at 100 miles an hour. So basically what we're saying is that you can learn to take control of the feelings because you have been talking yourself into feeling bad your whole life. And now it's time to talk yourself into feeling good. One wholesome thought after another after another. And so this is what leads then to the Eightfold to Noble Path. The Four Noble Truths is there is Dukkha. It is caused by our unwholesome thinking. There is relief from that immediately available to you. And this is the method to practice so that that can happen. And so the path that we practice are actually the method. The Eightfold Noble Method, it actually comes in stages. Since you know nothing about Buddhism, we're not going to talk to you about what is the ordinary kind of Buddhism and the way that ordinary people practice. And let's start right from the good stuff from the beginning. And that is, is that the Eightfold Noble Path starts with our view. Right Noble View. Right Noble View, actually what that means is, is to stop having viewpoints that are not noble and start instead looking at how things really are. In other words, come out of all our right beliefs and start all over again. This time we're going to look at what's real rather than imagining what we think should be real. That's the new way of looking at it. So that means that um, when I was hearing about this, I was interested, well, what is Buddha's noble right view? And the answer is, is that it's not a viewpoint or a noble right view of something, but rather it's a way of looking. It's a viewing, right noble viewing is the better way of saying it rather than right noble view. So right noble looking, right noble investigating. That that's what we're really thinking of is right noble investigating so that we can investigate to see for sure what is dukkha and what is not dukkha. And this is a skill to be developed. Now we can start some with some basics in the sense of that we know some things for sure are unwholesome and some things for sure are wholesome. We already have that kind of discrimination, but it can be refined because there's a huge, huge gray area. And in that gray area, we'll kind of label it in the beginning as junk thoughts. We call them junk thoughts because we don't really know whether they've got any value or whether this stuff should be thrown out or not. So this is part of the investigation is to figure out what junk thoughts are junk thoughts that are actually unwholesome and need to be thrown out or what junk thoughts can be classed as wholesome thoughts and then allowed into the mind. But some thoughts we know for sure are wholesome. Thoughts of friendship, thoughts of joy, thoughts of gratitude, 
thoughts of generosity, right? Thoughts of compassion, thoughts of uh, uh, spreading joy, thoughts of community. These are all wholesome thoughts. What are thoughts that we know for sure are unwholesome would be thoughts of harm, thoughts of damage, thoughts of getting even, thoughts of revenge, thoughts of having enemies, thoughts of danger, thoughts that bring on anger, thoughts that bring on sadness, right? So this is the way if we begin to discriminate about what kind of thoughts we're going to let ourselves have, because in general, and you can see that um, uh, in modern Western society, nobody pays much attention to what kind of thoughts that we have. Just is that in fact we have um, a great deal of pride in what we call critical thinking. Right? That we build cities with critical thinking. We're able to build automobiles and we're not stuck with the 1911 Ford Model T. Now we've got Tesla. Why? Because somebody's been thinking about this stuff. Right? Somebody's been doing some really critical thinking and says this is better than that and this is better than that and this works and that don't. Okay. The problem with critical thinking that builds our civilization is is that that critical thinking is often a mixture of wholesome and unwholesome thought. For instance, if we say this is better than that, that means that I want this, then it means I've got to have this, and that means that I want it and I long for it, and that I feel dissatisfied because I don't have it. So what we want to do then is to start looking at the kind of thoughts that we have of wholesome and unwholesome. Well, how do we do that? How do we start looking at our thoughts? This is where the second item on the path comes in, and this is the Pali word is sati. Right view here, the word is ditti. Um, and the Pali word for uh, mindfulness. You've heard the word mindfulness, no doubt. Somebody along the way, you've heard the word mindfulness. What we're really talking about with mindfulness is the combination of sati to wake up. And then number two is this right noble view or viewing or investigating is the mindfulness. So it's a two ways combination. And so I want to make sure that you've got that there's two different skills that we're developing with mindfulness. Mindfulness is a combination of two skills. One is the ability to wake up. That's sati. Now, actually, sati has three qualities to it, and you and I will be dealing with sati a lot in the next few weeks. But the basics is, is sati comes in, in three different skill sets. The first skill is how often can you remember? How often can you remember? This is one of the reasons why people practice meditation is so that they can build that skill of remembering and remembering and remembering and remembering and continuing to remember to have the mind in wholesome state. The next one is how fast the sati is in the sense that when we do remember, because some things happen in the mind down at the level of a tenth of a second, are you fast enough to see what happened in the mind? An example of that would be like see, feel, that you can have an, a picture or an image 
of something. And then that only lasted just a flash. It just flashed through the mind. At about a tenth of a second, that image can and went, leaving us then with a sense of dread or terror. And here we are feeling in that sense of dread or terror or anxiety or something, and we don't have a clue about why we feel that way. The fact is, is that there was a mental image that flashed through the mind that gave us that see, feel response. We saw something that we weren't even aware of. It was subconscious. And so sati now is to be developed means that we're going to catch that stuff. When those flashes come by, we're going to say, aha, I saw you. So there is another kind of uh, of the uh, quality of the sati. The third quality is how strong is it? Because the stronger the sati, then the less effort is it going to take to get the job done. That in fact, in the beginning, there's going to be some effort involved. And the way that we're going to handle this is to by make it as less effort as possible and continuing to develop skills of making it less and less effort so that it becomes automatic. Now, how less effortless can it be than it just energetically just pops up as opposed to having being drug up? But in the beginning, we have to drag it out. Imagine it like this. Imagine that you have a, a jack-in-the-box. You know that little thing, the toy for the kids, and they turn the thing and it plays a little music. Um, uh, pop goes the weasel. Okay. And then when it comes to pop and then the jack, the, the lid comes up, or the, the actually the, uh, um, the mechanism releases the lid, which then the jack now can pop up, right? Unfortunately, in the, in the beginning, when Shanti goes pop, we have to then take the lid, remember to take the lid off, go in there and grab the jack and to pull him out. Okay. But once we get scaled at it, when it goes, when Sati goes pop, jack just pops right up. Okay. That's the development of the skill of, of um, right effort. So we've got three skills going so far. <laughs> we have the skill of um, right investigation, right sati, and right effort. And the right effort then is to recognize that the thought that I was having was unwholesome. Let's have wholesome thoughts instead. There is also the quality of the breathing, and we'll talk about the breathing a little bit more later, but we're going to be talking about the breathing in the sense also of taking long, deep, wholesome breaths. And to remember to do that and to take the effort to do it. But after we develop the skill of uh, breathing correctly, then it becomes effortless. And all we have to do is just think about it. Then, then <sighs> All right. So when we practice this way, we're developing several skills in a method that the Buddha gave that he called Anapanasati. So now we can say that we've added a new thing by talking about the Eightfold Noble Path. There's actually a, um, <clears throat> let us say, a game or a tool 
or a uh, uh, set of devices that we can put into play to develop these skills of right view, right effort, and right sati. And so we're going to be using the breath to do that because the breath is always there. Imagine that you had to have a, um, a meditation object that you had to carry around. And now you are sitting on the bus and says, gosh, I wish I could meditate right now, but I can't because I left my <laughs> mud disc at home. Or <laughs> but the breath is always there and it's always with us and it's always life giving. So paying attention to the breath is always something wholesome. If we're watching the breath, we're in the here now in this present moment. But if we're in the past, then we're likely in dangerous territory. And that if we keep dwelling in the past, for sure we're going to run over dangerous territory. We're going to remember a mistake that we made, or we're going to remember a mess that we made, or we're going to remember um, a, a bad episode or an accident or something that makes us feel bad. But if we can stay in this present moment, with our thoughts in this present moment, then for sure our thoughts are going to be wholesome. Thoughts of the, ah, this is such a nice breath. Oh, I feel so relaxed. Oh, everything is okay. So this is the kind of practice that we're going to practice that is actually changing the mind from unwholesome thoughts into wholesome thoughts and to allow yourself to relax. So when you give yourself a thought of some work to do, then you can say, well, I'm not going to go do that work right now. So why should I have to bother to think about it? Let me just sit here and relax instead. All right. Now here, when we go into this area, that's when you can see, and originally before we turned the video recorder on, we were talking about the various enemies that good systems have. Well, here's the one that we mentioned about there are going to be people who are the workaholics or the bosses who want you to work. And here we are saying, hey, man, I don't have to work. Let me relax instead. So one of the hallmarks then of uh, good Buddhist practitioners is they're considered in our society lazy layabouts. <laughs> they're not addicted to getting stuff done. They're much more interested in chilling out, cooling off, and having a pleasant moment. In fact, the whole quality of chilling out that we're talking about here, or just be cool, babe, just be cool, chill out, everything's okay. That is the Buddhist word, nibbana. That's what the word nibbana means. It means just to chill, just to cool off. Right? No need to get hot. Well, those people who are hot, many of them want you to be hot too. And so they're going to get hot because you're not hot. <laughs> but you can teach them how to chill by just showing them how. You can chill too. Hey, man, you don't have to be hot. You chill. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so when we practice this over and over and over again, we begin to develop the skills of it. 
And so in the Eightfold Noble Path, there's a fourth item on the list besides the first three that we talked about, ditti, or right view, right viewing, sati, or right waking up and remembering to look, right effort. We keep changing it from the unwholesome to the wholesome over and over and over again. And when we do that, we like it. We begin to develop a sense of well-being. We develop a sense of fearlessness. Actually, the word fearless is way too high as a quality word. Let's use a simple word that's easy to understand. You feel safe. You feel secure. You feel everything's all right. That there's not um, a dangerous thing to have to deal with, like a boss. But everything is all right. All right, so this is how we're practicing, having those wholesome thoughts. And and we'll talk about how to practice this to, to, to make it a fulfillment in your life a little bit later. But right now we're just talking about the momentary things that we're doing in the mind would be that you would catch the mind in an unwholesome thought. And then you say, aha, I see you. Ah, I see you, and I don't have to think that. Wow, what a relief it is. I don't have to think about that. And I can take a deep sigh of relief. And when we catch ourselves doing that over and over and over again, because we're quite in the habit of it, so we have to start developing the habit of sati and right view and right effort. And when we develop that kind of as a skill, we begin to develop the right attitude of, hey, I can do this. Hey, I can handle this. Hey, I can get myself into a good mood. Isn't that marvelous? I mean, how many people do you know of can actually just get themselves into a good mood? No matter what it is. I mean, at a funeral, at a wake, at the IRS office, in handcuffs, in front of the judge, in front of your mother-in-law screaming at you. I mean, think about all the different possibilities that you can get yourself into a real mess. And then to imagine that, hey, I can be okay. I can feel good in this situation. There's no situation that I cannot wind up being in a state of feeling good in. This is the right attitude. The Pali word is sama sankapa. The right attitude is I can handle anything. This is why the Buddha was known to be a lion or a bull. He didn't take no crap from nobody. <laughs> Not that he turned it around and gave it back to them. He was like, mm. <laughs> yeah, he, he's a good dodger. Just dodge the crap. And that's all we have to do is just stay in a good mood. But the question is, can you get yourself into a good mood? This is the practice, the practice of getting yourself into a good mood. And we practice that over and over and over again until we get the idea that we can become successful at this. Now, this is the basic practice. Now, when we do these four things, right view, right sati, right effort, and gain right attitude, the mind begins to get organized in a completely different way. Normally, the mind is organized into uh, dealing with danger, problem solving, getting work done, doing what you're told to do, and not liking it. 
having to do it now for future promise of reward and sometimes not ever seeing that reward. You can see that whole mindset that we're in as in our society. We're going to change that and organize the mind differently to where we get the reward first. We don't care whether we get the work done or not. In other words, it's not do the work, hope for the reward and then get the reward. No, we're just going to take the reward. That's the way of looking at it is, is that you could just take your rewards now. Just take a deep breath. Ah, oh, thank you. <sighs> that you already deserve it. You're the king here. You're the boss. And a kind of way of looking at it that I like very much is uh, a student said one time that everyone is an emperor of their own pile of dirt. In other words, you are absolute king of your own pile of shit. <laughs> right? You're the emperor of your own pile of dirt. The question is, are you going to be buried under your pile of dirt like most people are? Or are you going to be sitting on top of your world? It's your choice. This is what in the Pali, the fifth item on the list of um, the Eightfold Noble Path is right organization of mind. Are you going to organize your mind so that you're on top of your world? Or are you going to continue to keep your mind disorganized, which means you're part of the shit? Buried under it. Living in the past. Constantly having to put up with stuff that doesn't really exist anymore. It's dirt now. So with that, with the right organization of mind, what that means is that we come to the state of not wanting anything anymore, not needing anything. We're okay. We got it all. Don't need a thing. If we are in a state of not wanting anything, then the likelihood of us going out and robbing and killing and stealing to get it is very low. Why should I plot to go hurt somebody to get something that I don't even want? <laughs> and this is where morality comes in. Morality has been there all along in the sense that the immoral things were unwholesome in the beginning. And when we want something that we don't have, we're actually being immoral. We're plotting to get something and we'll get it by hook or crook. Right. And so that's the issues of morality. But when we get the mind completely organized and we don't want anything, then our morality is sterling. We don't want anything. There's no reason to lie. We don't have to um, gossip about that guy over there because we don't want anything from him. We don't have to compare ourselves with him. Then, in fact, we can make him a friend of ours. That this is where the whole quality of friendship comes in, is when the mind is organized correctly, we don't see anything as an enemy or a competitor. We see everyone as friend. Why? Partly because we finally made friends with our own pile of dirt. We have to make friends with ourselves on the inside. 
And so, in fact, we could say that the entire teaching of the Buddha, that remember, we started off by saying that the entire teaching of the Buddha was Dukkha, Dukkha Naroda. In the beginning, we talked about the whole teaching of the Buddha was Dukkha, Dukkha Naroda, right? Which is dissatisfaction and coming out of that with a wholesome thought and dissatisfaction. Well, now what I'm going to do is I'm going to say, oh, no, that's an, uh, not the easiest way to say it. That we can get the entire teaching of the Buddha down to just one word. Friendship. Friends on the inside, friends on the outside, friends with everything, friends with this breath. Friends with wholesome thoughts. That's the whole teaching of the Buddha, is learning to make friends with yourself rather than criticizing yourself, trying to make yourself better, because you're already okay. You're already all right. You don't have to criticize anymore. Go ahead and take the rewards that you've never gotten for all the work that you've done in your life, all the things that you were told to do that you did and didn't get a reward for. Take those rewards now. Yeah. Allow yourself to feel really good. Become a lion. So this is basically the foundation of the practice. There's a whole lot more to it, including learning how the mind actually works. And how all of that fits together. This is actually part of the teaching of the second noble truth goes down into the mind moments of how the mind works, step-by-step step, sequence of events that either gets us into a state of joy or gets us into a state of grief. And quite often we keep going down the path of grief, down the path of grief over and over again, but when you begin to see how the mind actually works, you can make that change in there. And so what we've been talking about so far, I haven't given you all the details, but I've been giving you the overview uh, this is basically all there is to it. It's just to change your mind from unwholesome to wholesome thoughts and live your life in a zippity doo da. Yeah, you can just have a have a ball. Be lazy. You don't feel lay about. Do what you like to do. Enjoy your life. This is the teaching of the Buddha, because if you can get your mind into that state, you're not going to be hurting anyone. You're going to invite everyone that you know to be as happy and carefree and easygoing as you are. This is what the real relief, the real freedom is, is the freedom to be joyful and happy rather than stuck with the methods that we have been raised with in our society. Then, in fact, one of the ways of understanding is, is that no one in our society is absolutely happy. The society doesn't work for anyone. Even the super rich are super miserable. No matter how much money they have, it's not enough. And not only that, but now that they've got so much money, they've got to worry a whole lot to keep it protected. They've got to buy all politicians and uh, do this dirty stuff over here and all this kind of stuff. So no one is happy and satisfied with capitalism. It's completely 
unsufficient for humans. That what we need instead is friends, not competitors. So the teachings of the Buddha then has to do with friendship on the inside, on the outside, to not compete with other people, but just enjoy our lives. Give yourself the rewards that you've never gotten before. So, gotten a message saying poor communication. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. All right. So we'll uh, continue on. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about how we're going to practice this. Because all we've been basically talking about is something that happens within one second of time. <laughs> All we've been talking about is everything that happens in one second of time. So how are we going to then put this into a practice system? This is what we then refer to, or many people in the West refer to as meditation. But they're often not doing this one key ingredient, and that is to change the unwholesome thought. A lot of people have the idea that what they have to do is, is to investigate the dukkha. So when they find dukkha in the mind, instead of, ah, I, I don't have to think about that, they think that they're supposed to study it to become experts at dukkha, rather than becoming experts at catching it quick and throwing it out. <laughs> okay, so this is how we do this. We're going to be able to see it easily once we understand the nature of the dukkha, of any thought that makes us feel bad. But we're going to allow any thought that allows us to feel comfortable and happy in this present moment. So we sit down and basically the instruction is just to start watching the breathing on the in and the out. And then the student will, um, the mind will wander away. And then at some time later, sati will occur and the student will recognize, oh, the mind has wandered away from the breath. This point in time is when most students will say, oh, no, I've done it wrong. This is terrible. I cannot meditate. Right. (laughs) The right thing to do, though, instead is let's use real sati and real investigation and say, aha, I saw the mind wandering away. And we immediately cheer ourselves up. Why? Because the mind has been wondering your whole life. And now you're being angry at yourself for your mind doing what it's been doing all along. You're just adding new anger. (laughs) That's a pretty unwholesome thing to do. So instead, what we're going to say is, ah, congratulations, I saw that. And so this is how we're practicing. And we will sit down and do this for about 10 minutes or so. I would recommend to do it uh, no more than 20 minutes, maybe 15 to- uh, minutes, four or five times a day. A good time to do it is early in the morning when you're still in bed. You don't even have to get out of bed. You can just talk yourself into having a marvelous day before you get out of bed. 
And then when you lay down in bed at night, you can spend another 15 minutes or so just saying, oh, now how nice it is. Oh, I don't have to go anyplace, nothing to do. I can just lay here and enjoy the night with no place to go. And then the mind will start to wonder, oh, never mind. I don't have to think about tomorrow. I can just lay here and just enjoy the night. Okay, so that now we've got about 30 minutes today in or something like that. So we can plan on another couple of times, maybe at lunch or perhaps when we're on, in transit to work or whatever like that. I don't know your circumstances, but you can find some time so that you can plan on taking spots of time a day to actually practice putting yourself into a really nice state. This is how we're going to practice. To just spend a few moments getting yourself into a real nice state. Because we've already talked a lot about a wholesome and a wholesome, unwholesome thoughts. So we know how to do that. We're going to start thinking pleasant thoughts, happy thoughts. Thoughts of everything is easy. Everything is fine. What a wonderful world. Everything's going my way. Not a care in the world. These are the kind of thoughts that we're going to start practicing. Wow, this feels nice. What a nice breath this is. Oh, it feels so good. So we start practicing this kind of stuff over and over and over again until we begin to develop it as a habit. And if the mind wanders away, say, aha, I caught you. And bring it back and start thinking about pleasant breath, nice moment. And we'll start adding other features, but we're already beginning to to look at the relationship within the body. We have the mind, we have the feelings, and we have the body. So we're going to start connecting the body and the mind together so that the feelings can come along. Okay. So, do you have any questions about this so far? Uh, no. No, it's been really a pleasure. No, no. You look like you're really appreciating what we're talking about. That's good. Yeah. You can really understand what I'm saying. Okay. Well, I'll you go do this. Go practice this and call me back in a few days. Okay. 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 And also, you can uh, investigate the links that I showed you in the, uh, um, uh, the, the channel and uh, the Sangha, if you like. We can talk about it later. But for right now, let's just make sure that you have the tools that you need. Or you can call me. This is okay. this is a good time today to call. Okay. Okay. Great. Well, we it's are... really nice to meet you. The pleasure was all mine. <laughs> we are literally twelve hours apart. Mm -hmm. So it's it's kind of late, but it's been worth completely really excellent all right well when are you going to call back again well i don't tempt to i don't like to put dates but it's going to be a week neither do i so let's talk about yeah a week a half a week something like that <laughs> yes excellent all right well we'll see you soon thank you enjoy brother. enjoy yourself <laughs> Okay.
Bye. Bye-bye.